today, and I pray that you do. Um, Jason, have we got those yet? Do we have some? No, we're not. We don't have them yet. We just our order hasn't come in yet. We're, but um, if you don't own a Bible and you would like a Bible, um, see Jason. Jason can get you hooked up with, or get with the uh, ushers. And, but we have Bibles that are on order. Um, we love to give out uh, free Bibles. Uh, we're we're tr switching over to the NLT translation is the Bible that we give out. So just want to make you aware of that. And uh, again, as we do, um, if you don't own a copy and you would like one, it's really our blessing uh, from the Lord to be able to give that to you. And you can ask uh, any of our ushers anytime, and uh, we'll make sure that you get a copy. You don't just have to borrow it. If you don't own one, take it with you, and most of all, enjoy it as you get into it. And so if you have a Bible handy, if you would, turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, as we continue on in our series here called Made Right. And I used this title before, but it really kind of sums up what Paul is doing here in chapter 11. I titled this morning's message, God, the Jews, and you. So it's like, what is God up to uh, with the Jews? And, and then really, how does that apply to me and to you? Um, we can easily read this and think, ah, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just about the Jews. And what does that have to do with me? But it has everything to do with you and I. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, here in Romans chapter 11, and then we'll take a moment and pray. Just invite the Lord to uh, have his way with us as we study his word this morning. If you'll follow along with me in whatever translation you have, like I said, I'll be reading from the NLT. Um, Paul says this, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. He said, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. He said, do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And do you remember what God's reply was? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. And... It is the same today, for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so that they do not hear. And likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well and let their blessings cause them to, to, to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see, and let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Paul asked the question, of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Let's pray. And Father, as we read your word this morning, uh, Lord, may we take to heart the message for us with regard to the nation of Israel. 
Lord, we have so much to be grateful for and so much to be thankful for. But we see around the world today, there's a growing hostility, a growing hatred uh, for the nation of Israel. And Lord, we know that you know, we can make it about so many different things. But Lord, what it really comes down to is the simple fact that there is a envy and a jealousy that's negative. That uh, because you have chosen uh, the nation of Israel, that you have chosen the Jewish people as your own that they are the subject of hatred by the rest of the world. Not realizing, Lord, that your choosing of Israel, your loving of Israel wasn't at the sake of everyone else. It was to use the nation of Israel, uh, to love them, Lord, in such a way that the rest of the world would know, God, that through them, the Jewish people, our salvation, our Messiah, Jesus, who's all 100% uh, in, in his manhood was Jewish. And uh, Lord, thank you for that. And yet the world has missed it like much of the Jews. And, and with that, Lord has become a, just a resentment. And we, we see it every day in the news and around the world. And so we pray for the peace of Jerusalem as your word declares. We, we understand that, uh, Lord, as your word declares to us, that, Lord, those who bless Israel will be blessed themselves. And we want to be a people who are blessed. And so we look for opportunity and ways to bless the nation of Israel. And yet, Lord, we find that many in the church today believe that, God, you truly have rejected Israel. And, Father, may you open our eyes to see that that's not true, Lord. If someone's living and they're breathing, Lord, your heart's desire is that they be saved, that they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, like the Apostle Paul and his love for the nation of Israel, may you grow ours as well. We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege to pray. We pray for uh, the people in Florida and on the East Coast today that, Lord, are suffering uh, due to these latest hurricanes. We see in Scripture that all these things are going to begin to happen in greater uh, uh, degree, as like birth pangs, as your word declares. And so, Lord, help us to not be discouraged, but, Lord, to know that the day of your return draweth nigh and to look up, to look to you and to be encouraged and not discouraged. And we just pray that, Lord, your perfect will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you this day. Thank you so much for the privilege to join together to worship you and singing and giving. And now as we study your word, and may it transform our lives. May it make us love you more, love you deeper, and serve you more effectively while we live on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you look at, you know, chapters 9 through 11, like I said, you could probably sum it up. As I said in the title, you know, uh, the Jews, you know, God, the Jews, and you. And Paul here, you know, in chapter 11, he, what he's really wanting to make sure, you know, it's kind of redundant, um, but he's wanting to make sure that we understand as the church um, the message that Paul has been sharing primarily to the Jewish people uh, as he would travel on his missionary journeys. If you recall, you know, when Paul as a missionary, he would first, when he would go into any city, he would first go to the synagogue, right? And it says, and he would reason with the Jews. And so he would have conversation with them about Jesus as the promised Messiah. And he would do that using the Old Testament scriptures to show that Jesus was the one that they were looking for. He was the one that they should be looking to. And unfortunately, as we study, you know, Paul's missionary journeys, as he went from place to place, um, the majority of, of Jews who heard the message rejected the message of salvation by God's grace. 
And so when Paul would leave the synagogue, it says that he would basically, in a sense, go next door and he would open up a church and he would begin to proclaim the gospel message to the Gentiles. And it says in large part, many of the Gentiles embrace the gospel message. And so part of that plays to this concept of jealousy that would occur here because, you know, as more and more, you know, Gentiles, and a Gentile being a non-Jewish person, would come to a saving knowledge of faith and, and, and love this Jewish Messiah and fall in love with God's word, you know, the Jews would have to look at that and say, you know, like, what are we missing here? You know, what, what, I mean, what, what have we, what have we got wrong? Why are these people who, you know, I mean, who, for all practical purposes, a Jew who looked at a Gentile as, you know, they were, like I said, the rabbi's rabbinical prayer every day was, you know, God, thank you that I'm, you know, not a Gentile, a woman or a dog. And they believed that, you know, the Gentiles were good for nothing more than lighting the very fires of hell. There was a disdain, you could say, a, a disgust, a hatred uh, for the Gentiles. And yet God was saving them. And, and I think it's pretty simple when you study, you know, Jewish history. So, you know, the Jewish people for, you know, centuries had invested themselves into a religious system that basically interpreted, you know, uh, wrongly salvation by what? By works, right? That was how you got saved. It was not based on God's grace. It was based on works. You, you lived a self-righteous life and you have a, they had a system that was developing self-righteousness. And so uh, it, just, it was an affront to them to think that, you know, that a person would be saved you know, by God's grace. And so uh, again, for the non-Jewish world, you can then understand this, if you were a Gentile and Paul came to you with the message of, of salvation by grace, that would be appealing to you because for all intents and purposes, if you study human history, you know, the Gentile world is what we would call barbaric. I mean, it was barbarianism. So there was no self-righteousness in the sense for, for a Gentile. And they knew that they would never make it to heaven based on self-righteousness. They hadn't kept the law. They hadn't even tried to keep the law. And so a, a message of grace and all of a sudden to say, but wait, but you, you would never make it to heaven based on self-righteousness. You could only make it by grace. You could see why that message would be appealing. And so many Gentiles began to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so here, you know, Paul sets out here in Romans, you know, chapter 11 to answer, you know, some questions that would naturally come up. Primarily, like I said, for both the Jew and the Gentile, the, the Jew looking at this and going, you know, every time Paul comes to town, we listen to what he has to say, but we really don't care about what he has to say because what he's saying is a really affront to what we believe. I mean, to think that we have practiced so hard to be so good and, and you know, and here we are, we have our religious system and we have our laws and we've got everything. And then suddenly, you know, all of a sudden you're going to say that that doesn't work to get you into heaven, that the way you get into heaven is by placing your hope and your trust in, in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And that was too easy. And, that, and it's really that way for many people today, isn't it? Both Jew and, and Gentile alike to think that, you know, there's no way that, you know, that somebody could just pray a prayer and place their hope in what Jesus Christ has done and, and, and consider themselves saved. They, it would have to be because of the things that they've done, or it's a mixture of both. And I tell you all the time, it's Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. It's Christ alone. Everything. And so, again, 
Paul understands this, and, and like a good attorney, as he has all through this, this book, this wonderful book of Romans, he sets out, you know, to, he asks rhetorical questions. He'll ask a question, then he'll answer the question because he knows what's on everybody's mind. So you have both Jews and Gentiles here going, you know, I mean, we see what's happening. The gospel's going out and, and people think it even today. If you go share with somebody, think about it. If you go to a particular group, like we could say, you know, say the Muslims or the Mormons or the Jehovah Witness, and you go, ah, don't worry about them because, you know, guess what? We've all tried and they don't listen, right? And you go, so God's hardened their heart, so just forget them. And, and guess what? Can I do that as a, as a Christian? Yes. Not saying that God supports it. You go, but I'm saying, do we do that? We go, yeah, we tried. They didn't want to listen, so hey, that's their loss, right? And we just kind of go on about our life. So nothing's changed, like I tell you all the time. You know, from the Garden of Eden, from the fall of mankind, one of the things that we can understand is that you know, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things, the Bible says, and who can know it? Um, and, and so here Paul is setting out to help us to understand that, you know, God has a plan. And it's so important, as I shared with you, you know, weeks ago in this, why, why is it important to understand God's heart for the Jew? Because God's heart for the Jew is the same as God's heart for you. And if God's willing to give up on the Jew who tried very hard to be self-righteous, then what's it going to take for him to give up on you, to give up on me? And so one of the comforts that we have in this is that we see all through scripture. And I always take you back to Luke chapter 15 as a chapter that we allude to because it was Jesus telling the stories. Remember there about the lost coin, the lost sheep and the lost son. And Jesus was expressing, he goes, I want you to understand this is my father's heart. This is, this is my dad's heart for you. That even if you're, you know, a rebellious son and, and hatred fills your heart and you ask for your inheritance and you get it. And he gives it to you and it says, and then you go to the other ends of the earth to get away from him because you can't stand your dad. You can't stand your father. And then you waste all of your inheritance on, on, on prostitutes and prodigal living, just pure debauchery. And you finally come to your senses and you come home. You know, what is dad going to be doing? You know, and it's like a drum roll, you know, and people would think for themselves, they go, well, what would your dad say? And that's how most people approach it. They go, some of your dads would go, you know, what are you doing here? You took all your stuff and you left. Get out of here. There's no place for you. You're dead to me, right? That he would have tore his own clothes and said, you know, you exist no longer. I got one son left and he's still with me. And there'd be resentment and there'd be bitterness. And, and we find that oftentimes. Or you have a father that, like Jesus said, here's my dad. He goes, every day while you were gone, he walked to the edge of his property and he looked to the horizon and he prayed and he hoped against hope that somehow you'd come to your senses and you'd come home. And when you would, he wouldn't say, I told you so. But when he saw you, it says even afar off, it says he would run to you and he would grab you. He wouldn't beat you, but he would weep with you. He would cry and he'd say, this is my son who is dead and now he's alive. And you can imagine, you know, what that does to the self-righteous person. It's like the older brother, which we can easily relate to as well. But then if you've ever been in that position where you failed and you failed miserably and to be met with mercy and to be met with grace, you go, Jesus is going, that's what I want you to understand about my father. He hasn't rejected you. Though you rejected him, his heart is still for you. 
And, and it's that love, again, it's what brought the prodigal home. If you recall in the story, what does he say? He said, you know, he realized, he said, man, my, my, my father's servants have it better than me. And it says, and he came to his senses because he realized how good his father was. Like I said, it's not hanging people over the pit of hell or it's not beating them that makes them repent and turn to God. It's the love of God, Scripture says. It's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance is that they, they see the goodness of God. And that's what Paul is wanting us to see here because we can become just like Israel was in the Old Testament. And the church often does that. As, you know, if you've walked with God for any length of time and then you see somebody who isn't kind of living up to speed, you, know, you forget that, how was I saved and how were you saved? You go, by God's grace. That's how I was saved. Not by works, which any man can boast. But like I said, the longer you walk with God, you can look at people and you can look at them with disdain and disgust. And you go, well, they're only getting what they deserve. But if we all got what we deserved, it would all be hell. And so this is the, the heart that Paul is, is trying to draw out. So in verse 1, it says there in Romans chapter 11, he, read it with me. And he says, I asked then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? He says, of course not. And he uses himself, you might say, as exhibit A, right? He's going, look at me. I mean, did God reject me? He goes, what was I? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He goes, man, I, I hated Christians with a passion. Remember, I stood by when Stephen was killed. I held everybody's coats while they stoned him to death. I was the one who was chasing Christians to Damascus, 300 miles from Jerusalem. And I was dragging them back to, to Jerusalem to be tried, to put on trial. That's how zealous I was. If you talk about a zeal, man, there, he goes, there was nobody more zealous. And he said, you know what? And he goes, you know, because, man, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I came from the same tribe as the first king of Israel, of Saul. And, I mean, I was born into the right family. I had the right pedigree. I had everything. I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was considered like Harvard Law School uh, in the days of, of, of Saul. And so he's going, I, I had everything. And he goes, and I hated Christians. I hated Jesus because I didn't believe that he was the promised Messiah. He goes, but what did God do? He came and he knocked me off my high horse and he blinded me. It wasn't that I was seeking Jesus. It was that what? Jesus was seeking me. That's what Paul was saying. And he's going, so just look at my life. And then you can look at your own life. You go, how did you get saved? Was it because, you know, they, oh, I studied the scriptures and I, I rightly divided the word of truth. And I just deducted, you know, that Jesus said, you know, I'm not saying that some people don't come that way. But that's not what Paul was saying about himself. He's going, I was the chief of sinners, as he says. He goes, I was the lowest Roman on the boat, so to speak. And he goes, and God reached out to me and he saved me. And he goes, you know, I'm a, I'm a what? I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a messianic Jew at that. I mean, you can't, you can't get any more zealous, like I said. And, and Paul is saying, the only reason that he's saved, he goes, is because God revealed himself to me. And we do well to remember that. And that's what Paul is wanting us to remember as the church. He's going, you know, don't forget, you know, uh, Israel had their issues. We, we can have ours too. Let's don't, you know, uh, history not learned from tends to repeat itself. Let's, let's learn, you know, from their mistake. Look at verses two through four. It says, and no, he says, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. When did he choose them? Abraham. Now, what was Abraham doing? Does anybody recall what Abraham was doing? He, he, was, he was a moon worshiper, okay? He was you know, Abraham. And here's, 
worshiping the moon. So it wasn't that he had it right. He was worshiping creation and not the creator. And what did God do? God chose Abraham. And then in God's choosing Abraham, Abraham in turn chose God. Abraham became a friend of God because he simply believed God, that he trusted God. That's how. The same way that Abraham becomes a friend of God, you and I become friends with God, is that we believe God, and that we trust God. And as we've studied those words out, the word believe means to act upon, means to rely upon, means to trust in. So as we read his word, we start saying amen to it before we even read it, and we trust it. So we go, Lord, if your word says it, that settles it, I'm going to do it. It's not like, hmm. And often, you know, times, many of us can approach it this way. We'll go, I'll read it. And you go, eh, you know, and, and it's really interesting the way we, we come to deductive reasoning because we'll, we'll use the same, the same issues that Elijah will speak of here, that Paul speaks of, is the majority versus the minority. So we get this idea that if, if the majority of people don't believe something, it must not be true, right? You go, well, if everybody does it, right, that must mean that it's, you know, and what did your parents tell you, you know, as a kid? If everybody jumped off a bridge... Would you jump off the bridge too? You know, all these kind of things that come with that. And you go, today, you can't even say that to your kids. They go, absolutely. You know, yes. And maybe somebody would catch it on TikTok and it would become a video and go viral. You know, you go, you'd be dead. And you go, yeah, but I'd be famous. You know, so trying to reason through that. But Paul is, is basically making sure that we understand. He says, he hasn't rejected those home people whom he chose from the very beginning. He says, do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And he says, and do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed to Baal. So you think about this. This is a story that's told in 1 Kings chapter 18. I encourage you to read it. You remember, Elijah is a prophet. There's, remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel. This is a divided kingdom. You have 10 tribes in the north, and you have two tribes in the south. Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdoms. Okay, God has sent him there to prophesy to these. And, and again, they have nothing to do with what Elijah is declaring. He's, he's calling them to repentance, to believe in God, to turn from their rebellion, to turn from their idol worship. And they have you know, nothing to do with it there. Uh, like I said, King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, I mean, they are ruthless. I mean, and they're, they have killed all the priests. They're doing everything they can to destroy the work of God there. And, and Elijah sees all this, you know, taking place. And so you remember he, he challenges the prophets of Baal to, you know, a little contest, you know, where they'd come out and they're going to make a sacrifice. And he says, you know, make your sacrifice, you know, to God. And they come out and they, and as their customs, they would cut themselves. They would try to do things to try to earn the favor of their gods and their, you know, and then Elijah, you know, is, he's, he's mocking them, if you recall. He's like, well, you know, maybe your God's not answering because he's sleeping or maybe he's in the restroom, you know, maybe he's relieving himself and he just, you know, is a little bit busy. No job's finished till the paperwork's done. Maybe he just can't get there right now. I mean, and I mean, you think of the things that he was saying and, and they're getting more and more frustrated and nothing happens. And then Elijah is so sure of the faithfulness of God. What does he do? He, he not only puts out his sacrifice, but he tells him to do what? To get water. He goes, you know, it's pretty hard to have fire when it's all wet, right? And he's going, but this is how awesome God is. You guys just go ahead and pour water. Just 
fill the whole thing and fill a trench around it. I mean, this let it soak in water. And then it says, and Elijah, you know, calls down fire from heaven. And all 450 of those prophets of Baal, they're, they're killed. They're consumed. And you would think that, you know, the children of Israel would just all of a sudden go, wow, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. You know, we wouldn't have had to write that now. That'd just be something they would have been singing back then. And yet they, they would, for a while, they'd go, hmm. And then it just had to be the next thing and the next thing here. And so Elijah, I mean, he's, he's looking at this and he's going, you know, God, there's nobody that's standing with you. I mean, and really, what's he declaring? You know, God, what's he declaring? You know, that Israel has a long, long history of, of rebellion and apostasy towards God. And again, and if you think about this, this is the painful part of when Paul alludes to Elijah here. Who are the enemies? The enemies that Elijah's talking about. Remember, he is a prophet to the 10 northern tribes. The enemies aren't the Amorites or the Amalekites, the Hittites. It was the children of Israel. It was his own people. His own people were the enemy that he was he's referencing here. I mean, it doesn't get any sadder than that, any lower than that. And so, he, you know, again, God makes it clear to Elijah, though, that he's merciful. That even this being the lowest point, you could say, you know, in the northern, you know, uh, kingdom of, of Israel, the, those ten tribes. I mean, it didn't get any worse than this. They have rejected God. They have killed all the priests. They have killed all the prophets. Every messenger that God sent telling them, to, hey, turn, turn back to me. I'll forgive you. Turn back, come back. And they killed them all. And so Elijah, he's up there. And you've probably had this thought maybe in your own life. Maybe you're the only believer in your family. Or maybe you're the only believer in the place that you work, you know. And, and then you find it's easier to not say anything than to say something, you know, at all because of the persecution. And we see this happening more and more in the world. Scripture tells us it's going to happen more and more. If you, again, I've been sharing this with you in previous weeks, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And people go, I just don't want to suffer. You go, you're going to suffer either way. You're either going to suffer for Christ or you're going to suffer against Christ in that regard. And so, again, here's Elijah you know, learning a lesson, you know, from God as he's looking around and he's thinking, there's nobody like me. There's nobody else who, you know, loves God, you know, the way that I love God and serves God. And, and we forget this just like Elijah did in this moment. But God declares something to him that he would declare to us. And he tells us in his word that God has always had a remnant that he's held back. Matter of fact, it's never been the majority of people in the truest sense that have ever loved God. It's always been the minority. It's always been the remnant. The majority, you know, tends to go in the wrong direction. I mean, think about, you know, we just had an election not too many years ago where the majority of people supposedly in this country, you know, voted in a certain direction, right? And so being a democracy that's built up based on a republic, in the truest sense, you know, the majority rule. And you go, but if you look at today, I mean, even within the majority party, does the majority party even think that they got it right? No. It's the sad reality of placing our hope and our trust in men. You know, thank God that Jesus is coming back. Amen. And, and part of this is, is, is what <laughs> causes us to cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, is that when we put our hope in men, this is what you get. So it doesn't matter who's, you know, 
who's in the White House or who's in, in government, that's not going to be the, the thing that's going to save us. Uh, it's perfectly clear. There's only one name under heaven by which men can and must be saved. And that name is what? Jesus. Yeah. And so, but God is declaring, you know, that there's always been a remnant that has, he has kept back himself. And, and it's an amazing thing when you read this because it's always by God's grace. It's always by God's election. And so we can even kind of fast forward here. We know that during the tribulation period, you know, scripture tells us that there's going to be 144,000 what? It, it tells us what they are. It's, they're going to be male virgin Jews, right? 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes. That's a remnant, you know, in the truest sense. You go, but God's already declaring it beforehand that this is how it is and that he has always held back a, a group that is faithful unto him. Uh, the goal of our life should be to be that remnant, amen? To be in that group, not worrying about. And, and this is the part of the, you know, the problem that we have in this world. Everybody wants to be on, it seems like the majority side, and that's not the best side always. Actually, most of the time it's not. Because most of the people on the majority side are just following the person in front of them. They're not making a calculated decision that's based on truth. Look at verse 5. It says, it is the same today. It says, for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace. And again, what keeps people faithful? Is it his wrath or is it his goodness? It's his grace. His grace growing and graced, his undeserved kindness, Paul says, in choosing them. Like I said, God has always, always had a remnant. And you think about, you know, what is grace? Grace is a free gift. And again, here, here's what we have to understand in that. You know, when it's grace, it's no longer works. No one can ever boast about their own faithfulness to God because it's all a gift. If you've been faithful to God, it's because of his gift of grace in your life. As scripture tells us, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything. So that word in some of your uh, translations, the even so there in verse 5, it says even so in the New King James, it says even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And again, the point just being there's a small portion. Okay, that's what Paul's reminding us. It doesn't matter, like I said, if most don't believe, what matters is some people still believe. And there's, there's, it can be discouraging for you and me at times because we feel like, you know, the majority of people are going this other direction. And it, it's scriptures like this that I hope encourage you that when you study them that you go, hey, it's not, the key isn't to be in the majority of group. The key is to be on the side of God. It's not that God would be on your side or my side, but it's that we would be on the side of God. Amen. And it doesn't make any difference because then we could easily say this. With, with God is one person a majority. You go, absolutely. All it takes is with God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can accomplish what? Nothing. He said, but with me, you can do what? All things, yeah. And th this is what Paul is reminding the church, you know, God's faithfulness over and over and over again. If there's one thing you know, that we've learned, you know, in history is that we've learned nothing from history. The majority isn't always right. Actually, you know, what we see here in studying scripture, the majority oftentimes is wrong. You know, in 1 John, you know, we, we, we read, it says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Gives you a good picture of where the world is today. What, what John was writing, he says, you know, the world's got it wrong. 
The world's under the sway of the wicked. When they think they're right, they say they're right. You know, they stand up and they boast that they're right, but they're wrong. But there's always a small percentage according to the election of God's grace. It'll always be God's grace, not by works. And like I said, when Paul went into the synagogue, like I said, first thing that he did, he preached the gospel to the Jews that were there. And like I said, they, they kicked him out. But, it, but there was something that was stated there that we should find hope in. What does it tell us? It says, some believed. Some believed. And again, not everybody believed and not everybody didn't believe, but it says some believed. And then when Paul went to, to Rome and he talked with the Jews there, it said that many disbelieved, but it says some believed. There was always some. So God is reminding us over and over and over again, whenever the gospel goes out, you know, people can get so discouraged. You go, you know, we preached the gospel and there was thousands of people there and there was only one person who got saved. You go, is one enough? You go, absolutely. Absolutely. To think that, you know, one person who was headed for hell, what does scripture say? Not because Pastor Mike says it. Scripture says that when one person turns from their sin and turns to God, what takes place in heaven? It says the angels of heaven, what? They're rejoicing. They're going, it's a victory for our side. And people go, well, what about, you know, what if the majority of people go to hell? Isn't that a defeat for God? And you go, no, heaven is all about victory. I mean, to be in heaven is because of what Jesus has done and because of who Jesus is. Hell is just a choice, you know, that people make on their own, apart from God, to say, I don't, I don't want you or I don't want your way. And that's the end result of it. And though sad, God's allowed us to exercise free will. But yet, we see over and over and over again, there's always a remnant. There's always some. There's always those that hold on and hold out for, for what God has for us. This is really interesting when you think about this today. And think of it in terms of, of life today. There's about, in the world today, about 15 million Jews on this planet. About 350,000 of those 15 million are believers. They're Messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus. That, that's a small number, would you say? 350,000 compared to 15 million. And then you look at Israel. The population of Israel is around 9 million people today. 6.5 million of those uh, are believed to be Jews out of the 9 million living in Israel today. And it's estimated that 30,000 of those 6.5 million are Messianic Jews. So only 30,000 of 6.5 million are Messianic Jews. And so you'd kind of go, wow, that's not very many. I mean, if you look at those kind of numbers. But yet, if you go back, and this is really interesting. In 1948, May 14th, 1948, that's when... Israel became a nation. They were granted a national status again. So they got their homeland back, right? And if you think about this, there on May 14th, 1948, try to guess how many Messianic Jews were living in Israel on May 14th, 1948. 23. Not 23,000, you know, 23. So if you go from 23 from May 14th, 1948 to today, and you've got 350,000. 
I mean, that's a substantial growth. Now, is that still a remnant? That's still a remnant. And you go, yes, it's still a remnant. Still a small fraction of people. But is, is it safe to say, is God still working? Yeah. And that's what we need to say. God is still working. There's always a remnant. And I put in big, bold, you know, print in my notes here, you know, why is this so important for us to know? And one, first and foremost, is that you and I, just like, you know, our Jewish friends, we're saved by God's grace. And, and we're not cast off because of our ignorance. Praise God for that. Amen. You know, you would think that, you know, Israel could have easily been cast off because of their ignorance, but they weren't. But it's God's grace that saves people. And the second thing is to encourage us to never give up on people who aren't saved and people who you may have shared with a thousand times, like I've shared with you. You know, if you look at this and you go, you know, I always love that picture of, the, of the, the rock and the chisel, you know, and some guy's just hitting this rock with a chisel and it just keeps hitting it and hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. it takes 700 blows and finally cracks that rock. And people ask, well, which blow was it? Was it the first blow? Was it the 20th blow? Was it the 700th blow? And you go, it was all of them. It was all of them combined together. God has just called us to water and to plant. It's God who gives the increase. But God forbid that you and I quit watering and we quit planting. Yeah, and it's easy to do because we can get so frustrated. Because if you've shared and you go, but, but look at the heart that that demonstrates. It's not the heart of God. You know, God loves us and he cares about us. And, and he was, as Paul said of himself, he's going, man, God didn't give up on me. I was out in left field, as far left as you could get out in that field, persecuting the church, killing people for being believers in Jesus. If anybody deserved to be rejected of God, Paul's going, it was me. But God never gave up on me. And it's such a great reminder for us is, man, it's so easy in our world today because we can get so frustrated, but, we, but it's a self-righteous frustration. Just to think of this, that we, when we look at, down on somebody else, we have to see ourselves apart from God's grace. And somehow we've moved into the arena of works again, haven't we? Because what we're saying is I'm better than them. And you go, how am I better than them? You go, it can only be on the basis of works. If it's by grace, can you be better than anybody? No. And you can see the danger in that because we all have a tendency to do it. You think when you don't like something in somebody else, it's because you put yourself over them in that place. And yet scripture says, you know, but it's by grace, grace, going the other way with it. Verse six goes on and it says, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their, their good works. For it is in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. And this is, like I said, a great verse that you can share with Mormons, Jehovah Witness, you know, if you've got Muslim friends. Salvation's a free gift. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, yeah, I'm saved by God's grace, but... And you go, no, it's either one or the other. And if you think it's by works, you go, what, what are works going to accomplish? Nothing. It's going to bring you the wages of sin is what? Death. Because none of us are perfect. That's what Paul shared earlier in the book of Romans. But by grace, for, you know, by grace through faith, believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for you. But when you, and I get it, and I think you do too. If you grew up as a Jew and you've lived your whole life striving to be perfect, right? And you work so hard to be perfect. 
there's kind of a resentment that comes up that, you know, hey, these guys are getting in free. It's kind of like the parable, you know, of the vineyard owner, right? He goes out at nine o'clock in the morning. He hires somebody to work in his field, goes out at noon, hires some more guys. Three o'clock goes out and hires some more. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the exact same thing. And the guy who gets, you know, at nine o'clock goes, hey, I resent that. And the, and the farmer says, well, didn't you and I agree to the price that I told you I'd pay? Yes. But he's getting the same because what's that, what's that to you? You and I had an agreement. We had a relationship. And, and it's the same thing that can happen to us as we start easily judging other people, thinking that, you know, hey, you know, I deserve this. And we just have to come back to that place. And as Paul so well reminds us here, if I got what I deserved, it'd be hell. What God did was he offered us grace and he offered us heaven by Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross. And that's not cheap grace. I mean, the price that was paid for my salvation and your salvation was great. Wouldn't you agree? It cost God his own son. And what that should do in our hearts is create an appreciation. Not a, you know, like, oh, I got in free. It's like, no, the price that was paid because it should have been me. It should have been you there. And it says, you know, that the elect there have attained righteousness and the rest have been made to be hardened. And you go, what hardened them? Well, it wasn't that God hardened them. They hardened their own heart because they resented the fact that, you know, it wasn't based on self-righteousness. They were mad that they had a system of self-righteousness. And all of a sudden, you know, God's going, you know, but it, he's going, it was always about grace. It was never about self-righteousness. No one, Abraham, your father, how was he saved? How was he chosen? Was it by works of righteousness? He was howling to the moon. He was a moon worshiper. It was God chose him in grace. And Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. It's never been any different. It's always been by God's grace. It's just in their misinterpretation, just like in our misinterpretation, we make it something else. But salvation has always been and will always be a gift of God. Verse 8 goes on, it says, And as the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. He's quoting from Isaiah 29.10 there. So he's taking the Jews back. He's, he's reasoning them, with them from the scriptures. He's reminding them. And he's also quoting Deuteronomy chapter 29.4 where it says, but to this day, the Lord has not given you minds that understand, nor eyes that see, nor ears that hear. So they would go, oh, yeah, this isn't something new. This is happening because we won't take God at his word. And that's what happens. When you don't listen to somebody after a while, what, what do we do? We, you know, we tease it around here at times. We'll go, you know, okay, somebody's saying something. Somebody just goes like this. You ever do that? You know, and you could just be playing with somebody, but that's what the Jews were doing with God. They'd heard it so much that they did what? They're just going, they became, could you say that they became insensitive to his voice? Can you and I become insensitive to his voice? Oh, absolutely. You can hear what I'm saying today and it can easily just go in one ear and out the other. It means nothing to you because your heart has become hardened to the things of God. As opposed to going, you know, by, I'm saved by God's grace and I need to understand, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me today? What is it that you're wanting me to do? What, what transformation are you trying to bring about? Or you just go, I got stuff to do. There's a football game on today. I want to do some yard work. You know, I got things. You know, I was, you know, yeah, I've heard it all before. Easy to do. Been there, done that. Nothing new under the sun. But there's a warning that comes with that. 
Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. He's quoting there from Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. And it's interesting what he's dealing with there is the same thing that Elijah was dealing with. It's not foreign enemies. David is talking about his brethren. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Jewish people here. That again, you would think that a table is supposed to be a table of blessing, right? It's where we get to sit down and enjoy a meal. Have you ever sat at a table to eat? And then you sit down and you go, ah, yeah, because you're hungry. You know, that's, that's what it was. And, and here David is saying, you know, that let it, let it become, you know, a snare to them. And you go, what was the snare? Well, they had the very words of God and they just became dull to it, right? I mean, they were the descendants of Abraham and they, they had the right pedigree. And after a while, it didn't mean anything you know, to them. The blessings that God provided for them actually became the very hindrance because they stopped doing what? Seeking God. You, you can think about it in your own life. When do you seek God more? When he's just lavishing you with blessings or when you're going through a hard time? Usually it's when we're going through a hard time. Huh? When I'm going through a hard time, all of a sudden it's like, God, where, where, where are you? I need you. And aren't you glad that God is faithful? He did, I mean, because this is what I would do. I'm just going to be honest. If I was God and you did that to me, I'd be going, hey, 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 where were you when I was just pouring out blessings from you? Uh, I didn't see you talking to me then. I didn't see you, you know, like running to come visit with me every night, you know, and every morning, you love him in the morning when you see the sun arise and love him in the evening because he took you through the day and love him in the in-between times because you feel the pressure coming. You know, it's like the song and you go, no. And all of a sudden, but you're going, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm going through, you know, and I'm like I said, if I was God, I'd be going, oh. I'd make you wait a little bit, right? God, you there? But what does he do? What's the story of the prodigal? What, what did I share with you? What happened in Luke 15? The father saw the son far off, and what did he do? He ran to him. He ran to him. I mean, he, even, he, even, he didn't even get an I told you so. I mean, he deserved an I told you so, right? Would you have given him an I told you so? Go, hey, so what's that about, you know, telling dad where to take a, you know, might bring up a few things there, right? And you go, no. Because love does, keeps no record of wrong. All these things that we see in Scripture, and we go, that's God. And wow, man. The Jews, what we see, they had a long history of rebellion. Long history. It had more to do with, it wasn't just the rejection of Jesus. Like a lot of people, well, they just rejected Jesus. No, they had a long history of rebellion against God. I mean, think of this. God's leading you and guiding you, right? He's a pillar of, of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night. And all of a sudden you go, we want a king like the rest of the world. God, you're not enough. Yeah. And he's going, okay, you can have a king. You're not going to like it. You know, not going to like it, but that's what you want. And what does he do? He allows it. And he allows them that what? They're bad choosing to draw them back, to bring them home. It's exactly what God does here. And yet there's always an elect that finds salvation. I, I appreciate that word blinded. The word blinded, you know, just 
technically speaking here, it's used some five times in the New Testament. Three times it means hardened, and two times it speaks of being physically blind. And what, what it's talking about is God allowed their heart to become callous. Have you ever, you've ever uh, worked out in like the yard or something, and if you don't normally do it, and you get a blister? And then usually the blister comes off and then it hurts for a while. But if you, keep, if you keep working at it, what happens? It gets calloused, right? A new layer of skin grows over. And that's what he's talking about here. Is that what happens when you don't, when you, and this is as we get ready to prepare for communion. Remember, Paul, Paul reminds us of this, right? Because he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, when you are going to receive communion, he said, you want to do it in a worthy manner, Right? So you want to think about communion. You want to think about Jesus dying for you on the cross and taking your place. You know, it's not that we look at our lives and we just go, oh, everything's, you know, hunky-dory. No, it says we examine ourselves and you go, Lord, is there areas in my life where I'm not hearing your voice, where I've developed a callousness? And there are in all of our lives, if we're honest. It's just part of living on this planet. That's why Jesus said, you know, when you being clean, he goes, you know, you're clean except for your feet, right? We, we, we walk in a dirty world. We need to have our feet clean. And to come back to this communion table and remember that Jesus paid the price once and for all for all of our sin. But to be sensitive to the leading of God's spirit in my life. He's going, but hey, Mike, but in this area, you know, this attitude that, you, that you've developed or this area of your life, you know, where you, you're not guarding the door, the temptation that you've given into here, you know, um, God's going to speak to all of our lives. I don't have to call out all the things that you and I could be. We all have the Holy Spirit living within us. And he's going, are you, are you being sensitive to the voice of God? Or have you become hardened? And unfortunately for the Jews, they become callous to the things of God. And so David there, you know, as Paul is alluding to David in, in Psalm 69, you know, he's lamenting David is, you know, over his Jewish brethren that have become his enemies. Their resistance, like I said, to the things of God. That, and think about it in his own life. What was David trying to do? All he wanted to do is draw them closer to God, right? And they resented it. They became bitter towards it. That's what Paul was trying to do uh, from city to city, wherever he went, was to tell people about the love of Jesus, the promised Messiah who's come into this world to take away our sins. And they rejected it, it says, because what does scripture tell us? Because men love the darkness rather than the light, lest their deeds being evil would be exposed. Men, we don't want to hear it. We don't, we don't want to hear about God. He's going to take away from us. He's going to cramp our style. And then verse 11, and we close with this, it says, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? It says, of course not. It says they were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. And the most important thing here, Paul is pointing out to us, he said, you know, has, has Israel stumbled past the point of no return? And this is a great reminder as we go into communion, is that you go, there's a difference, isn't there, between stumbling and falling? Can you recover from a stumble? Yes. Can you recover from a fall? No. The fall is you're done, you're down. Stumble is you can catch your balance. And here he's going, Israel has stumbled, but they haven't fallen. What he's saying is God is not done with them yet. Yes, have they tripped up really bad? Have you ever stumbled, you know, very far? You ever looked at something on social media and you see somebody falling, you know, and they, they go for like the longest time and you go, oh, maybe they're going to recover. And all of a sudden, you know, they don't. But God makes a promise. He's saying, yes, they, they look sloppy and they're in the middle of a tremendous stumble. 
but God is going to cause them to recover. That'll take place during the tribulation period. And we can talk more about that, you know, later on. But it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, the, how God uses jealousy. And I, I love this because I looked these two words up and they're, they're really synonymous of another, but this might help you as it did me. It said, envy is the wrong response when we are tempted to want something that rightfully belongs to another. It is about discontent and greed. That's what envy is. And that's really what we have, probably have more than anything else. Jealousy, what God is wanting us to have. There's a righteous you know, jealousy. It says, jealousy is the right response when someone who is rightly yours is intimate with another. It is primarily about relationship. And so what God is wanting to do in our lives and to make the Jews jealous is to realize, you know, that, that they were God's chosen people, but they've rejected God. So when you think about it in a love relationship, and so God says, okay, you guys are rejecting me. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to these people that you really don't like, and they're Gentiles. And just go with me in this thought, you know, this isn't, I don't want to say theological in this, but it puts it on a human level that we can understand it. So God basically is saying, you know, that guy that you don't like, I'm going to flirt with them. And you know what happens when somebody that you care about flirts with somebody that you don't care about? What does that do? That gets your attention like really fast. I don't, I don't have to take it any further than that. So in a, in a pure sense, because God doesn't sin, he's going, I'm going to use these Gentiles and I'm going to bless them and I'm going to love them and they're going to love you and they're going to bless you because that's one of the great blessings we have. And we'll talk about this more a little bit next week. I'll get into this because we do have an opportunity to be a people who blesses the nation of Israel and be used of God today to bring them to jealousy. When they see our love for God, we see our love for for the Jewish people, when they see our love for the nation of Israel and they see, you know, our love you know, for one another when we're in this place and, and uh, the money and the resources that are poured into uh, Israel by Christian organizations that, that, are, that are proud to be Christian organizations, it gets their attention because there's an old expression, you know, in the world that works still, you know, put your money where what? Where your mouth is. You can tell people all day long how much you love them, but if you don't show them, you know, and again, so they're very works oriented in that. Well, we're not trying to work our way into salvation. We already know that we're saved. Like I said, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. And so to be used of God, I mean, this is one of the greatest blessings we have as the church to bless Israel and to be able to be used of God to bring them to jealousy by simply loving them and caring for them so that they see the love of God. And in hopes that does what? Is it going to bring all of the Jews to salvation? No, no. But we can reach some, right? It's like I tell you all the time, hey, none of us can reach everybody, but everybody can reach somebody, right? And, and it's what a blessing we have. So with that, I'll, I'll invite uh, those that are going to be passing out the elements of communion to come on up. And uh, we'll do that as the worship team comes out. We'll, we'll uh, take a moment here and we'll pray. Um, we'll receive communion uh, together so you can just hold on to it. And we will uh, uh, take that as a church family today. It's one of the privileges we didn't get during covid we just did it on our own, but uh, today we get to, we get to wait and, and we get to pray and seek the Lord. So, Father, we thank you for the privilege in worshiping you and communion today. And Lord, we don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. We want to receive it for what it is. Uh, Lord, it's a remembrance of what you have done for us. 
As we take this bread today, we'll take it, we'll hold it, and we'll be reminded that it was your body that was broken for us. Should have been us, should have been me, should have been this church, this world that was broken. But Lord, you went to the cross in our place because of your love for us. And because your word says that without the shedding of blood, there remains no forgiveness of sin. You willingly shed your blood upon that cross so that, Lord, we could go free. And yet, Lord, I'm reminded every time we receive communion, the real great blessing that we have is we take that bread and we drink that cup that we're reminded that, Lord, by your spirit, you're in us today. You're with us every step of the way, every place that we go. God, you're with us. We're never alone because of you. And Lord, we look around the world today and there's so many hurting, so many lost people all by themselves have no one. And yet you're right there. You're right there. And so Lord, help us not to miss it for ourselves today. It's so easy to think that, oh God, I'm all by myself and woe is me and forget the blessing of the cross and the resurrection today that God, you're here. You're in this place. You're with us and that you love us and you care about us. And Lord, you're concerned for us. And Lord, you desire to meet our needs. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for that today. And to pray for those in our life that don't know you. That God, the Jesus in us would be the Jesus that flows from us, Lord. In the things that we do and the things that we say this week. For the nation of Israel, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem always. We, we know end times prophecy we know that the whole world is going to turn against israel but it's only going to declare how awesome you are when one day lord she stands in complete victory and so lord we pray for our friends our jewish brethren lord be with them and comfort them lord use the church lord to bring wholeness there we bless you this day as we pray in jesus name amen and church i'll invite you we'll just as we sing along here just hold on to the elements and we'll take those together here in just a moment.
poignant and perfect for this setting. A sacrifice was made and then your glory came. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago the ultimate sacrifice made for you and for me. The tragedy of all tragedies and yet it was there was a glory So much so that the rock was cast aside, the bounds broken. For you and me. So as we sing this song, as we sing this verse, understand what took place that we could today, 2,000 years later, remember. Was made, and then 